spreading Cajun across the nation, pushing the brand across the land. Welcome to Ragin' Review, made by the fans for the fans. Cajun Nation, welcome to another edition of Raging Review. I'm Jerry Abear, alongside my my buddy and friend and co-host as well, Mr. Matt Miguez. Matt, what's going on, man? Cajun Nation, what's up, Jerry? How you doing, man? Oh, pleasure, pleasure. We've missed you. Missed all of you. Cajun Nation, we've missed all of you. I know we've taken a little bit of a hiatus lately with so much going on in the real world, right? Uh, current events just changing day by day. But we couldn't help uh, talk a little bit about what happened in the draft just a few weeks ago. Uh, I know there's been news coming out, and uh, the governor of Louisiana, Governor Edwards, decided to start phase one this coming Friday, May 15th. Just a slow process to a, a um, or just say, a, just a start of a slow process to recovery. And um, why not start that process a little early for Cajun fans by recording another great edition of Raging Review, and we also have a special guest in the house, former Raging Cajun football standout, Mr. Matthew Barnes. You remember him, number 10, the tight end that played for, oh, almost a decade or so. Matt, what's going on, man? (laughs) What's going on, my guys? How are y'all today? (laughs) Oh, man, doing great, just grinding, Um, and, and thank you so much for coming on with us today. You know, I wanted to... We were going to basically today, we're going to talk a little bit about, um, you know, everything that's been going on in the world of sports, especially Raging Cajun athletics, uh, in particular football. Uh, talk a little bit about the draft. But Matt, we kind of wanted to talk to you because we know you're still a big part of this program, uh, even though you did finish your career uh, in 2018. You still hang around, you still talk to the coaches, you still talk to the players. What have you heard recently uh, with everything that's happened with the COVID 19 pandemic? What have you heard from your, te- from your former teammates as well as your coaching staff? And what what's their mindset right now uh, moving forward with this football program? Yeah, so a big thing I've heard uh, from multiple people is we're going to have a season regardless, man. Um, even if it's pushed back, uh, a thing I heard is, you know, the end of the season could be in February or March, um, which is good news for sports fans because it's something we need as um, fans of the game, you know, it's something we, we yearn for, and, you know, it brings us excitement. Uh, I don't know what Cajun Nation will do without sports, uh, truth be told, because that's a big thing in this area. But, yeah, that's something I have been hearing. Um, another thing is, you know, from the athletes, they're just working out and, uh, you know, staying consistent and honing in their craft. I've been seeing videos of them, you know, training. Uh, Devin Pauly is somebody I just watched about 30 minutes ago. He uploaded a training video. So it was good to see them and how they react to this situation in this unprecedented time because, you know, this is something that we've never experienced before, um, whether it's being regular in life, having a job, and also in the sports world. 
So this is something that uh, I've, I've enjoying sort of to see the turnout to and uh, seeing how everybody responds to this. Now, for you personally, um, you know, you, you just finished your playing days. Uh, 2018 was your last year. Of course, Coach Napier's first year. Got to experience uh, a chance to play for a conference title, played in a bowl game. Um, one year removed from all of this, where do you see, like for, for you, with everything that just happened this past season, even though I'm sure, like you said, the players are still grinding, still trying to train mentally. Where do you think for like, if that happened to you, if you were in this particular uh, scenario, where, where, where would that put you mentally right now? As far as from a player's perspective. Um, For me, myself, I like to think I'm very uh, strong mentally. So I would definitely use this opportunity to get a leg up on some teams. Um, you know, when stuff like this happens, you know, people fall back and don't take advantage of the opportunity when you could be, you know, getting together, getting extra work in, focusing mentally on the playbook. That would be things I would be trying to do, uh, taking this extra time to, you know, get my body right or recover from certain injuries. This 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 could be a blessing to some people, but it's, it can also be a curse to some people because some some guys go home and sit on the couch the whole time. Um, I know with <laughs> yeah. our coaches, yeah, I mean, I know with our coaches, um, they have a mentally ready and they're still meeting on, you know, they're having meetings virtually. And um, that's the type of things you have to do to keep everybody locked in because about this time, everybody's itching to get back. And um, truth be told, this is around the time that everybody just gets out of classes. So you can't wait to get home. But um, when you get, when you've been away from the game a little bit, you can't wait to get back and you can't wait to get with your guys in a camaraderie. And uh, those coaches you keep begging to get off of you, you, you sort of want them to get on you again, man, because you realize that it's what you miss and it's what you love doing. So I, I think the mindset of these guys with this coaching staff and the guys there around every day in this program and these fans will be through the roof. And um, they'll definitely be encouraged, you know, to go out there and do their best. But I, I think they're very mentally strong right now and they're locked in. And when it comes time for – Whatever the situation is, whether it's, hey, we're just going to give you all six weeks to train and then, hey, the season's coming. Whatever the situation is, they'll be ready because that's just how Napier runs the program. And, you know, it's interesting because and the reason why I asked that question, you know, we just saw what happened uh, before the NCAA basketball tournament. You had all kinds of conference tournaments. You've had all kinds of games that were just canceled in the middle of, of an actual game, right, with everything that happened with the – with sort of the the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic and, you know, seeing interviews on ESPN or any type of sports channel and seeing these coaches have to explain to their, these players, Hey, guess what? You know, we don't know what our fate is, but your season's over with. I mean, as a senior, I'm sure that's devastating to have to hear that, especially if you know that there's, you know, your mission wasn't really quite accomplished because you, you couldn't, you weren't allowed to finish. Um, and so, as, the reason why I ask that is the fact that right now there's so many unknowns. Um, as a player, I'm sure constantly hearing, well, we might have a season, we might not. We might start the season in September. We might start in December. We might play in the spring, like you had mentioned. Um, you know, sometimes when you hear constant changes and then you're hearing, well, this state's extending their stay at home and you got this state or this school going to online classes. When you hear these things, I'm sure as a player, you're just like, just make up your minds, right? Of course, yeah. Um, I know for the guys, it's tough hearing everything, but like I was saying earlier, you just gotta you can't you gotta control what you can control. You know, you have to stay stay grinding, stay down, believe in the process, and like I said, just come back to normal. I know uh, my other guy Matt is a big sports guy. 
well, I want to I want to ask him what situation hurt him the most, man, uh, with all this quarantine and pandemic going on. What hurt you the most? You, you asking me? Yes. Basketball, man. Oh you know, I'm, man. I'm a I'm a big big Pelicans fan. Um, and you know, watching them get get on a roll when Zion came in healthy. And, you know, them making a push for the playoffs and having that, you know, basically pulled from them. Because from what I'm reading, if the NBA does come back, they're going to take the standings the way it is and just play the playoffs. Wow. So yeah. the, the Pels would get would get robbed of, of an opportunity to push for that eighth spot. So, you know, I, I mean, obviously, you know, missing out on – on Cajuns baseball was a huge blow, but I think if you if you ask me, in my opinion, the the biggest blow would definitely be be the losing the NBA season. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll be honest with you, the Pels were making a run too. I mean, they were what three games out of eighth place or something like that. I mean, they were actually on the verge of sneaking in after such a slow start without Zion being available. Um, but just in general, like, you know, the NCAA tournament being canceled and college baseball, college softball being canceled, spring football being canceled, everything just kind of happened at one time, um, you know, to where now we're ecstatic to watch an, uh, the Chicago Bulls documentary. Now, granted, it's a great documentary, but, or, you know, late night Korean baseball or late night <laughs> Korean baseball, I mean, just either, something, something, either way. Something, man. I've I've been pulling up like Fox Sports, whatever, on my on my TV, and just watching like the throwback games that they've been broadcasting, just to have something. And and it's even worse when it's the games that you know how it happens. Because <laughs> yeah. like in the back, yeah. in the back of at the back of your mind, you're like, wait, I know what happens. Why am I watching it? But then in the front of your mind, you're saying because I miss sports. Right. Exactly. And uh, I think uh, they showed the national championship from 2005, so the USC versus Texas. And, um, of course, uh, when I was a little kid, I was grounded that game. So I watch it every time it comes on. And, like I said, just little things like that, the throwback games of what I've been tuning into. But, man, I'm going to have to start watching table tennis, man. This has to stop eventually. Wait, (laughs) your, your parents grounded you for the national championship game? A hundred percent. Ooh, that's a good mama. <laughs> now, Speaking of no, oh, go ahead, Matt Barnes. I, I wanted to ask you. You know, growing up in, and I'm hopefully not gonna butcher the town name. It seems pretty simple, but you never know. Grossbeck, Texas. Got it. Perfect. You know, being a a mighty goat, if you will. And you know, I was looking at the at the school size. School seemed a little smaller than than most schools in that area especially with Waco and College Station and, you know, Austin and Dallas and Houston. I wanted to ask you, you know, what was your high school career like? What was recruiting like? Um, if you can go into that for a little while. Yeah, so um, I went to a very small school, very small high school, uh, known for, you know, pretty much agriculture things. And, um, you know, the, the football program wasn't, wasn't too good. Um but me and a couple of guys from my class, we uh, decided to, you know, try to get things rolling. Um, I thought I was going to initially be a basketball player. I was going to try to play college basketball, go to the NBA. I was a freshman on varsity of basketball. So I thought I was a big shot. And um, my sophomore year, I was placed on varsity. I had a pretty decent sophomore year, man. I ended up scoring about 23 touchdowns. And um, 
my coach told me I should start, you know, trying to look into playing ball in college. Like I said, man, I didn't want to play football. I was like, man, this basketball thing is really where it's at, you know, the NBA. But um, I had a good junior year and a good senior year. And um, I went to a couple camps in the summer and, um, you know, sort of realized, hey, you know, this football thing can help me get to where I want to go in life. So uh, that's when sort of like the NFL dream starting to happen. Um, I have one of the typical stories, man. It's amazing. All the things UL and the city of Lafayette has done for me. You know, all the people I've met and the coaches that recruited me have done for me um, because I was 113 out of a graduating class of 116. So um, it was one of the things I did not care about school. Just typically the people around I grew up around, man, school wasn't a big deal. It was more or less you go, you graduate, and then, you, you know, you go to the oil field and get you a job and just take care of your family. And it's a, it's a steady cycle of that, man. Um, I think I was the first D1 recruit in about seven, or seven years or so. So uh, it was a pretty big deal for me, man. My recruiter was Reed Stringer, and I call him Uncle Stringer now, man, one of, one of my favorite guys. Man, Stringer. Oh, yeah, really good guy from Mississippi. I talk to him weekly still to this day, man. He's a Southern Miss right now. And um, he was a very good guy. Came to my house, um, sat with my mom, you know, explained to her the opportunity I had, which I didn't realize at the time, you know, turned out to be a master's degree from the University of Louisiana. And so that's something I'm very proud of, and I did not think um, that I would get to that. But, um, yeah. Out of high school, uh, nicely recruited in the state of Texas. A couple schools were interested. A couple schools wanted me to play defense, which I did not want to do at all. So uh, I had a couple offers, and I came on a visit to UL. Had so, fun. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, what were some of the schools, and like, what other schools besides UL looked at you? Or yeah, recruited so um, I was recruited by Baylor, TCU, UTSA, Incarnate Word, um, University of Houston, New Mexico, University, Air Force, ULM too, believe it or not. ULM was one of the first schools to um contact me, but they did not and, offer. And that was and that was the first one to scratch off your list, right? A hundred percent. I talked to him the first day and I and believe it or not, man, a lot of kids do this. I I just might have told them I wasn't interested, honestly. Um and uh, that's something I think recruits should never do. Because of sort of the similar situation I had, um, I got to tell in schools like ULM I wasn't interested. And um, I thought I was a big shot. I was only a three-star. I thought I was a big shot kid. And um, sort of waited till signing day to sort of make a decision. But as you know, if you're not a five-star, you cannot do that at all. So uh, we got to, to about January, and uh, New Mexico called me. And they're like, hey, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to withdraw a scholarship, man. We're going to go a different direction. And uh, that was my first sort of glimpse of reality, man. I was like, wait a minute. Y'all are, y'all gave me something. Now y'all taking it away? So uh, I think I may have called Coach Stringer like, please don't take my scholarship, man. I'm coming. I'm coming. So uh, <laughs> I took a visit to Lafayette. Food was amazing. Um, people were amazing. Uh, you know, at that time, the, the people that hosted me, the guy that hosted me was Larry Pettis and Michael Quave. Yeah. Very good guys, you know. Uh, Broadway came out and showed us a good time. You know that older era, man, and um, I, I enjoyed it a lot, and that's what led to me coming here. Um, but yeah, man, it was, it was a nice time getting recruited out of Little Groves back, Texas. I enjoyed my time. Man, I miss watching TB8 circling dudes on the field. You know, uh, you know he doesn't he doesn't get as much credit as um, he's due. You know, 
uh, like him a lot. Everybody has their opinion about Broadway, but he was a winner. And um, I've seen it every day in practice. And um, I've seen a lot of guys play the quarterback position. And the 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 only guy to have that same type of leadership is, believe it or not, Levi Lewis. Um, it was just different, man. Back in the day in OTAs when we went, it was it was pay attention on the sideline, dead silence. And when we went through a phase where we were sort of in a decline in the program, man, it was just different. It was, you know, more jokes around, more guys playing, uh, not as much leadership after he left, you know, when we went through that phase. So I, I have all the respect in the world for Broadway. I think he was an amazing guy, but uh, like him or not, he was a winner. And uh, he did a lot for our program. And that was a thing that, you know, we should have carried on, but it, it happened not to. But I'm glad we're in the position we are right now. You know, all change isn't bad. And that's something that's definitely been good for us, you know. Well, you bring up a good, you bring up an interesting point. So you talk about, uh, you know, like because Broadway senior season technically was Coach Hud's first recruiting class when he arrived in 2010, 2011. Uh, I mean, you had, you had some talent on that senior class. Um, just a few to name. I mean, you had Alonzo Harris, you had Terrence Broadway, you had. Um, just to name a few, you had Larry, like I said, Larry Pettis, just a few of those guys that really set that tone for that culture of just winning and consistent winning for those that four year stretch. Probably one of the most most fun stretches in, in Raging Cajun football history. But I did want to ask you that because you were, you know, the, the beauty of your career was that you were part of different eras in many ways. So you were part, you came in sort of in that era where the team was just consistently winning. And then you talk about you went to a sh through a short decline, but then you graduated when the football team was just about to once again be on top. Um, during that time, whenever the team was sort of on a little bit of a decline, was it the lack of leadership? What was it that changed that sort of, that sort of caused that, you know, for example, in 20, 2015, you, you know, the team went four and eight, then, you know, barely made a bowl game in 2016. What caused that? In Complacency. Your, in your 100% complacency, just being comfortable and expecting winning instead of going out there and actually putting in the work and winning. Um, you know, what we had was good, and we came in riding high on it, and that's what, you know, the classes under us expected, you know. Um, so when those leaders left, your Broadways, your um, Alonzo Harris, your Tory Pierce's, your Dominique Tovels, the name, the least. I could go all day with the leadership we had, man. It was really good. Your Trevor's Pats, your Ringo's, your Juices. When that leadership left, you know, sort of the guys after that, and um, it was just expected, like, hey, we're going to win. And um, that's not what happened. You know, you have to go out and put in the work every single week, every single day at workouts. It starts in the offseason. And that's just something that wasn't taken as serious as it was in the past because, you know, the other teams are working. We had a target on our back at the time. And uh, we, we felt what it, what it was like to actually go chase somebody with a target on their back with everybody knows that's App State now. And um, that's the position we were in a couple years ago. So um, it was just complacency and expecting to win instead of working for it over and over and over again. You know, Barnes, you, you brought up a good point in the in the leadership ability of Terrence Broadway, and you said that you haven't seen a quarterback on this roster have that kind of leadership since Levi. A hundred percent, yeah. Um, talk, talk about what, you know, everybody obviously knows the leader that Levi is because it's been talked about since the day he stepped foot on campus. Outside of his leadership, having played with him, what makes him the special quarterback that he is? 
So I think what makes him the special quarterback he is, is he plays the game how he plays the game. Um, one advice I've always told guys, young guys coming in or JUCO transfers, is do what got you here. You know, you might, you might have to tweak your game a little bit because a coach teaches you how to run a route different or, you know, he tells you your throwing mechanics are bad. But do what got you here. Get comfortable and be who you are. A lot of times when people come to UL, they change who they are. And, you know, you'll say, hey, this isn't what you did on your highlight tape. You know, you're not playing like you. Levi's always been him. Uh, I know you said outside of leadership, but inside his leadership, I remember specifically uh, OTA, like a seven-on-seven we were doing in the summer one day. Um, he he happened to run with the ones or the twos. And, uh, you know, he's a true freshman. We're looking at him like, all right. So he gets in there and he tells everybody to shut up and let's let's run a play. And we're looking at him like, who do you think you are? <laughs> but it's that, it's that simple fact that at that time, nobody had done that. And so even though we looked at him crazy, we sort of respected him for that. Like, okay, we see you're trying. You know, we're going to respect you. And his play did the rest of the talking. One thing with him is, He's going to stay on the same level. He, he, he scores. He's not going to get too high. He throws an interception. He's not going to get too low. He's going to ride the same wave, and he's going to be a gamer throughout that whole time. Sort of reminds me of, of a Deion Ray. You know, he was just a gamer. Deion Ray was good. Um, Levi is, is just a gamer, and he's a very, you know, he's a very poised person. Um, you know, he, he does what got him here, back to the main point. He uses his legs. He uses his advantage in his game. He knows what works for him. And another thing is, he's so comfortable with his coach, which is Napier. He has such a good relationship with his coach. And one thing that's big for me I've seen in college football forever is you're more likely to do something for somebody you respect. And when you have a great relationship with somebody, you respect them, and that makes you want to go off on that ledge and do way more things for them as if you didn't have a good relationship with somebody. And that's something that him and Napier have. So he's so comfortable being himself instead of being a robot that thinks he has to listen to orders from his owner. You know, it, it's not like that at all. You know, it's interesting because the thing about Levi, one thing I, I have to say is that he surprised me. Um, he opened my eyes this season. And really what's crazy is that and what's great is that he got better as the season went on. Like the, yeah. the Levi Lewis I saw against Mississippi State is completely different than the Levi Lewis I saw in the bowl game against Miami of Ohio. I mean, he just he, – he really, really progressed as the season went on, which to me makes perfect sense and, is, and makes me ecstatic as a fan because – Going into next season, he's going to carry that into next year with high expectations. But he's he seems stern enough and 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 has enough leadership ability to be able to tame that and just play his game like you had said. Now I do have a question regarding that, and and, and I don't want to make it controversial or anything. But if you notice, since Terrence Broadway graduated in 2014, we kind of saw a few years of a kind of a, I like to call a quarterback carousel, right? We had a few quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. You had Brooks Hag, Jalen Nixon. Uh, Anthony Jennings, to name a few. And it looked like they just kept rotating quarterbacks. I think uh, Andre Nunez was in that mix. What was it during those years that you saw? And, I mean, you played on the offense. What was it that didn't allow for consistency at that quarterback uh, position at that time? So, for me, um, like I said, this is all my opinion. Uh, I've seen it firsthand. I just think, you know, uh, with the rotation things, Quarterbacks can really get a groove. And back to what I was saying earlier with the Levi situation, I think just relationships with coaches weren't as clean as they needed to be. 
So um, as far as not playing like a robot, I think all those guys sort of, you know, weren't comfortable in their own skin being who they were, just sort of worried about criticism for the coach or having something to worry about. If you look back on all those quarterbacks, all of them played better when they were in a backup role. If they came in the game, they played amazing. And then once you started them, they didn't play as well. And the sure. next person that came in, they played amazing in the two role. And uh, once you started them, they didn't really play as well because they didn't have nothing to lose in that two role. And I mean, like I said, this isn't controversy. We talk about this all the time. This is memory. All those guys are my friend, Andre Nunez, you know, um, Jordan Davis is one of my very good friends still to this day. I mean, it is what it is. It's what happened, you know, um, and and they just weren't as comfortable as, per se, a Levi is, a Terrence Broadway were, you know. It, it takes time to develop that, but it also, you have to get your own groove, you know, as far as um, when you rotate, it's sort of hard to get your own groove, you know. Sure. If you're coming in every, every third drive or you have fear of being yanked out, you know, it's it's hard to focus in and get a groove out of that. So I just think that's what's going on, um, along with just being in a decline in the program. Everybody's worried about jobs. So uh, I think yeah. everybody at that point was trying to do what they could do to save their job. And um, unfortunately, you know, just things didn't work out. Um, but like I said, all changes isn't, isn't bad change, man. I don't I don't know one person from that that program in that era that that didn't do good. Munoz says the receivers coach at Baylor won a national championship. You know, HUD is back being a head coach. Um, you know, all those guys are somewhere. Like I said, all, all change isn't bad change. But as far as that quarterback carousel, I just think nobody was comfortable back there. And um, it was just always a fear of being yanked or, you know, being benched for something. And um, I don't think Levi's ever really had that fear at all. You know, Matt, the the interesting thing ab about that is, you know, Levi's been confident from, you know, from day one, which is something that not many quarterbacks are walking into a into a D one program, especially one that that had success, you know, recently before that. I want to ask you, you know, in in your opinion, looking at this past season. While, while we're on the subject of Levi, what was his best performance of this year and why? Uh, I don't think I could put one game on it, man. I think, I think like, like Jerry said, um, he learned. He, he was a totally different quarterback from game one to the bowl game. I don't want to put a specific game on it. I just want to say a game I enjoyed from him – uh, I could say was the Texas Southern game, and um, it and that could be like, oh, we didn't play, you know, a school in our conference, you know, a huge school. But I feel like that's the game that sort of got our excitement up. Another game is the Ohio game. I loved his play in the Ohio game because to me, that's a team that's on the same level with us. You know, mid major. You know, they're good. We're good. They're coming off, you know, bowl games. We're trying to see where we at. Are we above, you know, some of the other mid-majors we're competing against for that New Year's Six Bowl? So when we played that game, I, I sort of circled that on our schedule and was like, okay, this is going to be our game. Just me being a fan of the team, this is going to be the game that determines who we are this year. And uh, when we pulled that game off and the Arkansas State game at Arkansas State, where it's so hard to win over there, I, I knew, you know, that, you know, Levi was a special guy. You know, I played with him before, and I knew he was a special guy. He threw me a third and ten slant from the five-yard line, our own five-yard line. 
And, I, you know, I got a first down, and I was shocked. Like, no, he did not throw this. He never throws this in practice. You know, so um, I knew he was a special guy, but that Texas Southern and, and the Ohio game really let me know, like, okay, he's ready to lead this team. He's really ready to facilitate to everybody and take this team to a new level. So those are probably my favorite performances from here this year. Now, you've experienced um... – you know, you experienced the coach transition from Coach Mark Hutzpeth to Coach Billy Napier. When when Coach Billy Napier first introduced himself to the team, what was the vibe? Or just better yet, when, when he introduced himself as well as brought in a coaching staff, what was the vibe of that first offseason to where you and your teammates could kind of get used to what the culture was going to be like? Because right now it's hashtag culture, right, what the UL emphasized. When did you first get that glimpse of that new culture and what was it that set that tone uh early 2018 uh even up to this day well i'm not gonna lie he won me over in about probably 30 seconds with him being in the room and introducing himself <laughs> um and this is real uh, you know a thing is when when you get new coaches or even a new boss in life, I know in high school, my senior year, I got a brand new coach and I sat in the stand, slouched down, acting like I didn't want to get to know him. But Coach Napier told me I had never heard something in my life from anybody in the first 30 seconds. He know I he said, I know you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And um that hit home with me. That was very special to me because yeah, he's right. We didn't choose him. We didn't want a new coach. You know, nobody wants to start over. You got to prove yourself to all these coaches again. For me, I had been there six years. I didn't want to have to reprove myself to some different coaches who probably were going to write me off, you know. But um, when he told me, you know, he he chose us, that that hit home because, you know, he did. He he probably had some other offers he had, and he chose to come here and try to change this program around, which he did, looking back on it. Um, When we got to the offseason, Season, it was hard. He told us this will probably be the toughest thing you ever did in your life. And it was other than Coach Witt's conditioning test. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, the offseason with uh, Coach Napier was very tough. And you could tell immediately he asked us to buy in. And we agreed we would buy in and trust the process. Even when it gets sort of shaky and you're like, I don't know about this anymore. Just keep trusting and keep trusting. And we would see the final result which we did that year. We played in a Sunbelt Conference championship game. So that sort of was like, well, this does work. So when they came back the next season, they're, they're bought in. They, knows the for- they know the formula works. So you, you keep buying into it, keep building on it, keep building on it. And you, year two was probably way easier than year one because you know what to expect. You know what to do. You know the work you have to put in to get there. And you know what you want to accomplish that season. So um, it was tough to transition to it first. But like I said, the guys on our team were amazing. It was such a different culture. Everybody believed in what the new coaches were bringing. And it brings out so much competition because, like I said, let's say you had a bad rep with the old staff, you have a clean slate with this one. So, of course, guys are going to buy in, and and it's going to be so much competition within that. So um, the vibe was definitely, you know, very competitive, if I'd say. And we believed in him and what he brought to the program. And um, like I said, it paid off, as everybody can see. Matt, I want, I want to ask you, you know, you played in a Louisiana uniform for six years, played for two different coaching staffs as well. If you had to pinpoint one game in your career that was your favorite, what game and why? 
some of my friends will probably say the Grambling game because I scored. I know <laughs> they go probably cloud me for that. But um, it was probably my favorite was probably of either the Arkansas State game at home. So that was probably 16, correct? The the yeah. last second, you know, oh, he yeah. scored. That was that was an amazing game. Yeah. Uh, that you know, basically to go to a bowl game, you know, that year. Uh you know, that game was amazing. That was a, just a tough back and forth game, as you know, at Arkansas State, how that always goes. Um, that was a good one. And maybe that same year, um, that, that year was very fun to me, man. Just the people I played with, you know, Elijah McGuire was my roommate. So, you know, we, we yeah. shared those. Yeah. So I shared those experiences with him, you know, going back to the room every night that or, uh, the Georgia Southern game, honestly, man, um, we slipped up in the locker room and had a video go viral. And um, it was it was sort of a dark time. And uh, that was a game we were not expected to win. And uh, we, we ended up pulling that cave off, uh, thanks to Dion Ray, who should have a statue outside the stadium. Uh, and he uh, came in and, and did a couple quarterbacks runs and technically won us that game. And uh, we did a mannequin challenge after the game, as y'all remember that. I do and, remember uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> And that was just some enjoyable moments um, for me in my career. If I could just pinpoint, you know, that's from the same season, 2016, which tells you, you know, uh, even in a decline in the program, you know, trying to get back up, there were some very good moments in that season, um, you know, that I enjoyed. But, yeah, though that beating Arkansas State at home with the last-second miracle stuff. And, uh, yeah, that game at Georgia Southern that we weren't supposed to win after having sort of a dark time in the program. Um, you know, it's funny. I uh, the Georgia Southern game that year, I remember I think Anthony Jennings was a starting quarterback, and uh-huh. for whatever reason, uh, the coaching staff allowed him to run some zone reads, and he was able to pull off some runs along with Deion Ray. Both of them were pulling these zone reads, and I just remember like watching the game, and we had a group text as we're watching the game. I'm just like, man, where has this been all season? Because remember, with 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 Anthony. He had a, I think he had kind of a hurt knee that year, so they they limited him to to running the ball as much, and they just kept him in the pocket. Well, that game, I'm looking, I'm like, man, the guy's got some feet on him, like he's got some legs, you know, where's this been? And it just made it made me kind of realize, like, wow, like if he were healthy all year, no telling what that offense could have done, you know, if if his leg wouldn't have been tweaked like it was going into that season. But um, yeah. Well, so, Go ahead. Well, think about this. Just back to the point earlier, Darren, going back to that quarterback carousel, who was the last runner we had before Levi? Really think about it. Who was the last dual-threat quarterback that was efficient on the ground? I'd probably say Terrence Broadway. Broadway. Terrence Broadway. Exactly. Yeah. So us being a program like this, we have great linemen. We've always had success from dual-threat quarterbacks. And, um, you know, it, it's just a shame that during that era, nobody wanted to run. And I even told Levi, I looked him in the face every day and said, because I was still going to class, you know, and I would tell him, run the ball. If all else fails, run the ball. They cannot stop your legs. You are a playmaker. And, um, you know, I sort of knew that. Nobody else really knew that because I had been around that long. But I had seen the up and down. And, and a running quarterback in college football it's so hard to defend, and it's so hard to account for. If you remember the App State game at home, the quarterback killed us on the ground, man. I know y'all don't even want to talk about it. They killed us on the ground. And I just told Levi, I was like, man, look, man, 
You have to make plays with your legs because that kills defensive coordinators. But yeah, that that's uh, that's truly one of the reasons. You remember Dre Nunez scored at an App State Championship using his legs, and we yeah. all looked at him. We all looked at him on the sideline. It was like. Why don't you do that every time? Like, <laughs> run the ball. And so that's a big thing with us, man. If, if you could just really I, think about it, that's a big deal with us, a dual-threat quarterback. I got to ask, um, did, have you ever seen oh, – now, this was when I was in college, at, at uh, UL back in the – around 2007 to 2010. You ever see – I know I know he's your he was your coach, but have you ever seen Mike Desermo's film? Yes. I clowned with him. I called him today and told him I'd be doing this podcast. And uh, <laughs> definitely told him I'd give him a shout out. I have seen highlights of him running. Somebody posted one on Twitter the other day. Dude. And uh, every time we go to his house and eat, we're like, pop in the highlights. And, you know, he's a, he's a humble dude. He's like, no, no way I'm popping in the highlights. But, oh, I heard he was a monster. And uh, hey. I seen a clip of him the other day oh, on yeah. Twitter. That was nasty. I joke with him. I call him the white Michael Vick because he had this. <laughs> I, I kid you not, man. He had these moves that like, cause you look at him, he's tall, he's slender. And, and he was a, he was a dual threat, but he actually, he ran more than he threw. Like it's, he could have played in my opinion, you know, those old school, like wishbone offenses kind of right. like with Tommy, Tommy Frazier in Nebraska. Like he could play in an offense like that and just dominate. Like he, he only there were some games he only threw the ball maybe eight or nine times and between him and Terrell Fenroy wow, that yeah. those two in the backfield I mean and the ball fifty times uh, good luck good luck stopping you good <laughs> luck stopping us and so yeah it's funny because you're absolutely right you bring up a great point I mean a lot of great quarterbacks outside of like maybe Jake Delhomme have all been dual threats I mean look Brian Mitchell he's another one you've got guys like um, you talked about with. Terrence Broadway. I mean, even Blaine Gauthier was, was in many ways a dual-threat quarterback. I mean, you're seeing with Levi now. I mean, Levi, that's one thing about Levi, I'll admit. Like, as the season's gone on, you never – do you remember, like and, – and and Matt, you can and, – and I know you, tell, you told him this, but you notice, like, the first five or six games, he would get very, very hesitant. Like, he'd run around in circles, and, like, against Mississippi State, players were falling on their butts trying to catch him, but he never passed the line of scrimmage. You ever notice, like, towards the end of the season, as the season went on, he would break off, like, 15, 20-yard runs? Well, yeah, of course. Um, I just – I think that might go into – and like I said, this is my opinion, but um, that might go into saying, hey, you're QB1. He's been QB2 before. So it's sort of like a, hey, like, I don't want to get hurt. Right. You know, I mean, if you could picture that, you know, and uh, the, the two behind him, Ave, he was having still an ankle problem. At the time, so it was sort of like you know, who do you look to after Levi? So yeah, as, I, as good, go ahead. As good as as Levi's feet may have been, I, I kind of agree with Matt Barnes here. With injuries, you know, lower on the depth chart, I think it was Napier's game plan for him to just stay behind the line of scrimmage. I think it, yeah. yeah, I think so. I, I do. I will say this though, I noticed. What makes what makes it dangerous when Levi runs is when the rushing attack is on key. You know, when Regis and Ray and 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 a lot and Eli are just dominating. You know, the second level of defenders, and then all of a sudden, you know, uh, some he, he, Levi will go try to drop back to throw a pass in the flat. So they're expecting you know a pass, and then he decides to take off and run with it. I mean, 
Some of our touchdown drives this year have been a work of art. By the way, Coach Napier's been able to mix it up. Um, and it just makes it even more fun watching Levi use his feet sometimes, especially when he scrambles and makes like these awesome throws to like Jamarcus Bradley. Like that one throw he made to Jamarcus against Ohio, I think he made it on a scramble. I'm just like, wow. <laughs> like this kid has some, he's got, he's got the gojones to get it done. That picture is still in the wallpaper on my laptop, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> the picture of Bradley reeling in that ball on the sidelines is still the wallpaper on my laptop. Oh man! And you mentioned you mentioned the Russian attack. You know we're at our best when we have our Russian attack going. Just want to give a shout out to Jabbar Jaluk and all the running backs who played for him because I've seen it firsthand. Man, they were they were the position group next to my room. It is not easy, man, to to have that much talent in a room. And spread it out, man, because all of those guys, all three of those top guys were NFL guys. As you've seen, Ray just went in the seventh round. And um, when the year I played, he was technically third string. It is hard to play with that much talent in the room and not think of, hey, I'm going to transfer. I got to go get my shine. Those guys are good, and I've never seen them bicker. I've never seen them argue. They were always in high spirits, supporting each other. And that's that's how it has to be to have a winning attitude. So I just want to give a shout-out to those guys. Yeah, I'm going to say this, you know, talking about the rushing attack and how good the rushing attack has been. Uh, I'm going to miss Hunt and, and KD next season. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think we can kind of go in a transition now uh, to this conversation about the draft. Uh, you know, uh, Barnes, what do you think about, you know, with, with between Robert Hunt, uh, KD, and, and Ray all going pro? Um, what are your thoughts on that? And, of course, we can't, we can't forget Jamarcus Bradley um, getting signed on as well. Um, what do you think about their potential? What do you think about what they, what they can do in the league? And um, have, you talk, have you talked to any of them since the draft? Yeah, talk to them almost daily, man. Like I said, these guys are my brothers. I um, I hosted Robert Hunt along with Mike Quaid. So, you know, he's my guy. Dodson, that's my guy. I um, was at every game with his dad in the stands and his brother, Kenny Dodson. I'm real close with him when he played at Nichols, man. So uh, I love those two. Ray is basically like my brother. I just went to his house Sunday to eat. So every time I'm in Louisiana, his family cooks me good food. Um, you know, Jamarcus signed with the Browns and Mike signed with the Eagles. Yeah, Mike, Mike too. Signed. Yeah. Uh-huh. And um, I, I spoke with Jock and he's looking to get somewhere in camp. And, you know, you have a couple other guys, Nick Ralston, you know, he's trying to get in camp. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if you see a couple more guys, you know, that, um, you know, are, are gunning for that chance to get an opportunity. Uh, like I said, because of these unprecedented times, you know, it's a blessing and a curse. So, uh, you know, they can't evaluate like they normally do. So they're going to have to let a lot of guys in camp and make a lot of cuts. But, you know, that opens up an opportunity for a lot of guys. As far as the draft, man, so happy, so proud of those guys. They People don't know what this just done for the University of Louisiana. This opens up so much more for us, much opportunities, better recruiting, um, because this lets people know, oh, if you're good enough, you can make it. Robin Hart just went second round, and he's from a 1A school in Texas that I always clown him about because I'm 3A. He's from a 1A <laughs> school in Texas where he played wide receiver on multiple snaps. He was the wide receiver. He won two games in high school. Um, you know, he's a star basketball player, um, you know, come from a very poor background. And he, he came through the same steps a lot of recruits will come through, and a lot of people in that program are in right now, and now he's a millionaire. 
So it, it, you could turn your life around. You could come to this program. He just created him, Dotson, Ray, and even in the past, Tracy, Eli, um, Ringo. They create so much opportunities for this program, and it's going nowhere but up. You know, that's a very exciting thing for them. Something about Dotson is the Pittsburgh Steelers are really his favorite team. I argue with him in a locker room multiple occasions about the Cowboys and the Steelers, and he yeah. wants to throw the championships in my face. Um, Wait, I'm I, sorry. Can can I cut you off? For, you're a Cowboys? <laughs> big, big Cowboys. Oh, okay, man. all right, Matt Barnes. We we're gonna have to end this podcast shorter than expected, <laughs> oh. and, and we're also gonna have to ban you from the premises. <laughs> oh, wait till we get to everybody else in the Saints later. Trust me. Oh. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's his favorite team. So that's the ultimate dream come true. You grow up five years old, uh, want to get drafted by your favorite team, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and it really happened to somebody that you know and love every day that lives right, lives by the cold, is a true raging Cajun, always embraced everything and every obstacle that came to him. He's an amazing guy. And that's the thing that uh, you love about this most. Uh, I, we live through them. You know, me and y'all, we living through these guys, you know, and they're the, they're the coolest guys in the world. Dotson's opened up so much of his character. He wants to interact with his, his Steeler fans. And now he has that opportunity where a million people he does not know will comment on everything he does. And so he's taking that in. He, you know, that's just something he's never had before. He's been an old lineman and they don't get a lot of credit. And so he, he's taking that in and enjoying that process. And, you know, his life's changing. As far as Raymond, you know, he, he went through a, a sort of a sad situation because he got he got to a point where he didn't think he was going to get drafted. You know, he was, he was close to signing a free agent deal with Jacksonville. That was sort of about to be set in stone before he got a call from Tampa. And sort of how that thing works is, you know, a couple teams call you and tell you, yeah, we're about to take you this next pick in the fifth round. And, um, you know, nobody takes you. You know, I was with Elijah McGuire. Like I said, that's one of my best friends. I was with him on his on the third day on the draft. And, um, you know, he was just down. He had a little party, a get-together. And for those guys, you feel so bad because they have this party, this little get-together, and you don't know for sure what's going to happen. You know, did I did, are the news here for no reason? You know, so those guys get down, and you just sort of got to encourage them. But Ray's very thankful for his opportunity, and I've spoke to him multiple occasions. He knows what he has to do to make the team. He knows he's going to have to be a killer on special teams in camp. He knows what's going on. He knows they're a top team in the league, and everybody wants to be in Tampa Bay right now to play with Tom Brady and Gronk, and you know they're good at receiver right now. Everybody wants to be in Tampa Bay, and he's in the perfect position right now to do it. He's at the running back position. It's not like he's a receiver, has to go against Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. He really has the opportunity to make the team and play. As far as Jamarcus and Mike, those are two guys who are very, very versatile in what they do. Uh, like I said, Jamarcus was a high school quarterback and probably has one of the best highlights you've ever seen from a high school player. Um, he scored, I think, 70 touchdowns in one year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he came in at UL and played corner and used to get torched. Every day of practice by Keenan Barnes and Michael Jaquette. Fast forward, those two are the best players on the opposite sides of that. You know, Jamarcus is the best receiver on the team. Michael Jaquette is the best corner on the team. So these guys have been there before. They've, they've been doubted. They've fought through adversity. I have no doubt, you know, that Jamarcus will go and soak up everything. You know, he's with Odell and Jarvis. He's the type to learn from them and display leadership that he can be on the same level as those guys. And he's the type, well, if, if Odell is hurt that day and they sit him out, 
Jamarcus would love to grab those reps. He would love for the opportunity to get in and make anything shake that he can just to be noticed. He loves that. Like I said, Mike is very – he's such an athlete. You know, he, he has a chip on his shoulder. He has an edge. He feels disrespected. You know, he didn't get drafted, which is amazing for him. You know, I know he's going to go out there and do his best to make the team. So those guys that got picked up are amazing. Like I said, you still have other guys such as Jock. You know, he's going to – he had a very good, you know, career at UL, and he's going to go do his best to make a team, you know. So I'm very excited for those guys. But what it done for the culture of UL and the future of Raging Cajun football is – you can't even you can't even put it into words because we're about to be so crazy good from here on out. Very nice, very nice. Yeah, I tell you, there's a lot of excitement right now. I know the uh, University of Louisiana had I think they were ranked tied for like in somewhere in the low twenties, twenty second, twenty third for most uh, draft picks in this draft, and you know, it's just it's really just a um, it's a testament to like we talk about the culture and how these players adjusted over the past few years, uh, how much they've grown, um, you know, between whether it was Kevin Dotson, Robert Hunt, Ray, Mike. Um, I mean, those guys are just Jamarcus Bradley and what they've been able to do. Now, uh, I got to ask you moving forward, man. Now you got two, two guys in the backfield, Trey Regis, Elijah Mitchell, um, NFL, NFL potential. Are they going to be playing on Sundays moving forward, depending on what they do this coming year? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Please come hunt me down if it doesn't happen. Uh, <laughs> I was I was speaking with Hunt, and he said, oh, scouts are already asking about Eli. Um, same, same with Raymond Clay. He told me scouts are already asking about Elijah Mitchell. Um, that was a guy we knew from when he was a freshman. Grant Horse told me this. He was like, yeah, I knew that guy was good when he was running the ball without gloves on. Like, when he's a freshman, he said, I knew he was good. <laughs> yeah, I, I, a couple years ago, I was working at, uh, at KATC here in Lafayette, and I remember working with the Friday Night Football crew. And man, every time an ERATH highlight came in, you knew who it was. A hundred percent. You he, knew he it that was good. <laughs> so, yeah, just he had the freakish ability from probably his sophomore year of high school. And just watching him play locally here, you know, I, everybody always kind of sensed that that it would be what it has, what it has been. But you know, he kind of exceeded what my expectations were for him. And you know, that's another thing I, I just want to commend Napier and our staff about uh, is is the local recruitment. Um, I know I know Elijah came in off of HUD, but. Uh, Napier is reaching out to local people. I was just talking to Montreal Carter about this the other day. The HUD era, we recruited a lot of Mississippi, a lot of Mississippi. Um, But, you know, somebody like me, you recruited me. My mother came to one game in my UL career, the Boise State game. When you recruit somebody from in town, that brings their family that brings the people from their high school, like, hey, I went to high school with him. I'm just going to go to a game, you know. That brings supporting people around. So I definitely want to give a shout-out to Napier recruiting in his own backyard. But, yeah, I came in with a walk-on. His name was Austin Domain. He's from Erath. So when um, Elijah Mitchell came in, I said, Erath, man, that's a small town. I said, I had a, I had a homeboy came from there. I said, you better than him? He's, and he's just so humble. He's, no, nah, man, he, Austin was really good. And I was like, yeah, man, it's all good. We'll see. We'll see if you're good enough. 
And uh, like I said, Grant Horse was like, yeah, man, he's running without gloves. I knew he was good. So, yeah, he's very good. The, the thing about Trey is is when does he disappoint? You know, uh, um, he, he had a couple uh, slips against Mississippi State. But other than that, how long has Trey Reagan's been producing for UL? Forever. He, he's never stopped producing. So that one-two punch is going to be the same thing it's always been. And you still have the lightning back there with Chris Smith. Yeah, well, Ray, Ray's leaving. Chris Smith is good, too. He's stepping right and, in. And he's hungry to step into that role, let alone you have T.J. Wisham still that, that, that's amazingly good. And you have another freshman that came in, and he's good himself. So that running back room, it's always been good. Since when I was young, you had Alonzo Harris, Montreal Carter, Tory Pierce, Ephraim Reed. You had all these guys who've always been good, and it's just carrying on from generation to generation. So that running back backfield, not going to miss a beat. The O-line, we're, we're missing Robert Hunt and Kevin Dodson. You got Ken Marks and Cole Prudon coming back. Shane's grew up a bunch. You have Max Mitchell, who has playing experience. It's going to be great. The offense is going to be really good. Peter LeBlanc has stepped up at receiver. Brian Smith is going to need to step up. Um, Jamal Bell is going to have to step up this year. Who's going to be the guy? Because as of right now, to me, it looked like Peter LeBlanc stepped up and was amazing in the championship game, and that was great for his confidence. I can't wait to see what goes on. Look out for Devin Pauling, man. Yeah. <laughs> Brandon Lejeune also, too. Huh? Yep. Red shirt. He's a, he's a hell of an athlete from what I've heard and what I've seen. Well, I was, you know, I've, I've watched Peter grow up, you know, we're family friends with, with, with Peter's family and, and, and just seeing how much he's developed in just one year. I was just ecstatic that he got to play. It's one of those things you're like, oh my gosh, Peter's in good for him. Yay. Okay. He's catching the, catching a few passes here. Oh, that's awesome. But then you see the impact he had on the offense as a freshman. I mean, a true freshman coming in and just creating such a heavy impact. And, and really all he did was add, you know, he's just added another weapon to this high-powered offense. That's dangerous. That's very dangerous when you have a lot of younger talent stepping up like that. Um, and it just it gets me a lot more excited for this coming season because I love I love seeing new faces. I love seeing the new the new players come in and just try to you know, they try to make a name for themselves early on, and then you combine that with the veteran talent. It just it just makes it a lot of fun to watch. Now, going into this coming, first of all, uh, you know, I know we discussed this earlier, but what what do you think is going to happen this year? What is your prediction on the season? I know you said you've talked to the players, you've talked to the coaches. If if Matt Barnes had to make a prediction of how this season's going to pan out as far as when they get to play, uh, where they get to play, what would you what would you say about that? I'm not gonna lie to you. I think I think this will be our best year yet, and you know why? Because I think we we do what we did last year, but we have to beat App State. <laughs> hey, I can't lie to you. No, this is me being a fan. I'm mad about this. We have never beaten App State, and truth be told, we sort of look at App State how we look at Tech, how UL looks at Texas State. I'm a fan, so they could they, they can listen to this and post this wherever they want. But I mean, we look at Texas State as that little brother, like, oh, Texas State can't beat us, man. We're not worried about them. We'll go out and beat them on two days practice. You know, that's just how we feel about Texas State. We're we're not gonna lose to Texas State. App feels that way about us. They think no matter what happens, they're gonna end up winning the ball game. 
We have to beat App State, and I think this is the year. We say it every year, but I really do think this is the year. Um, this is Napier's third year. Everybody's more mature. Uh, we are losing our two horses, but Levi's going to be a senior. Trey Regis and Eli's going to be a senior. The defense has grown up. What better time to do it than right now? I think this is going to be our best year yet. Honestly, and this is me talking as a fan. I think it's going to be our best year. Add on to that prediction. Not only will it be the first time we beat App State, this will be the first year we win an SEC game. Oh, yes. I am definitely looking forward to that. I promise you, I will be at that game. So I better see both we will, we, we will walk into Columbia, Missouri and win that damn football game. Here, here. Oh, yeah. The crazy thing is we, we should have won the Mississippi State game. No, my dad and I, my dad and I said it that day. You play that game four weeks later in the season, you well would have won. Well, you can't, look, you play an SEC team, you can't turn the ball over four or five times. times. And ironically, with the fact that we turned the ball over four or five times, it was still a seven-point game with like 10 seconds left. A hundred percent, and 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 that's how you know the growth of, uh, as you know, uh, Mississippi State. The year before when we played them, they were an amazing team. Sure. Um, but it it was sort of the same team. They lost a couple first rounders, but it was sort of the same guys. And like, that's how much Napier has grown the program. Where you know the first year we go into the game, like, oh, we're playing Mississippi State, but we're gonna try to beat them. We're gonna attempt. And, you know, adversity hits us, and we're like, all right, well, it's Mississippi State. Like, we'll come back and be the yeah, competent Take, take, take but, our paycheck. Let's go back home. Exactly. But this year, it's a no. Let's not lay down. Let's go beat these people. I've always felt everybody else does it. Every other, every other sport at our school has no problem paying, playing big teams. App State does it. You know, our softball girls, they'll bring Oregon to town and beat them. They'll bring Florida to town and beat them. A couple years ago, basketball took Kansas down to the wire, if y'all remember that. Baseball mm-hmm. plays big schools and have no problem. We need to get on that level in football, and I think we are there now with that Mississippi State game. Um, that, that brought a little confidence for us. And like I said, I definitely believe that we'll definitely beat Missouri this year. Yes, they were 100%. faking injuries. The, the yeah. Mississippi State defense, uh, as our offense was marching down the field in the red zone, were faking injuries. I mean, that – I'm watching that in the Superdome, and I was getting not only was I getting furious, but I'm just thinking like, okay, this team just basically spanked us the year before, and now all of a sudden you can't stop us, and your 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 interior D lineman or your linebackers falling to the ground, and and try and he tried to stay in on the next play, and I'm just I just couldn't believe that, and that's when I realized I'm like, you know what, this team we we got ourselves a football team. I mean, the fact that an SEC team straight up faked an injury against us is to me it's hilarious it's that was that took the cake right (laughs) well matt barnes man we appreciate you joining us um you know we we appreciate everything you've done for this program to help it become what it is now and we look forward to maybe talking to you down the road when we actually get a football season Oh, definitely. Like I said, man, anytime I love podcasts, I love coming on here and just speaking about, you know, firsthand experiences. And like I said, I'm a big fan. I'm a fan just like you guys now and, um, you know, proud alumni. And it brings me joy to, you know, live through some of these guys because it's weird. Like I said, man, I, I know people from a 10 year stretch. I know guys 
such as James Butler, who I came, who was a freshman when I came in, and and uh, Daniel Quave, who came, got here in maybe 09, 010. And I know guys who will be here all the way until, you know, 2023. So that's a long stretch of people, you know, a long bridge to connect that gap. And uh, like I said, I enjoy it. I enjoy being a fan. And I'll, trust me, I'll be around a lot. So I'll definitely tune in to what you guys have going and definitely hopefully be a guest next time y'all do this during the season where we have something exciting going on. Yeah, man. Anytime you want to come on, do not hesitate to ask. We'd be more than happy. We we want some we want some good expertise from from players, former players, and 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 those who who are familiar with the program. Now, before you go, I have one more question for you, Matt, and it's this. And we've asked this to former athletes we've had on our our, our show before. But if there's one word to describe being a raging Cajun in your mind, what would it be? Um, this is gonna sound sort of ironic, but uh culture uh the culture and uh i know that's a new word that's been around with napier but to me that's the people around here that's lafayette that's the school tradition that's jake delome coming around you know when he doesn't have to to show love to the program that's uh you know to me that's what this is all about and this town brings you in and this program brings you in and loves on you it's the south i live in phoenix arizona now and there's nothing like the South, trust me, food-wise and people-wise. And that's what I love so much about this program is the culture. Um, you know, I want to give a shout-out to Lee Tafford, you know, gave me, you know, my first grown man job at Coca-Cola. And it's just things like that in the community. So one thing I advise all, you know, the players when I see them is get out here and talk to some of these alumni and some of these these guys that support you in the RCAF and get to know some of these people because, trust me, they love you more than you know. And for you just to acknowledge them and shake their hand and remember them the next time they talk to you means the world, everybody, because the culture is that important around here, man. Yeah, no, there, there's no question about that. You know, me being the only one of the, of the three in this conversation as a, as a lifelong Lafayette resident, you know, there, there's just there's no better place in the world, in my opinion, than than the people and the the atmosphere that this town gives. Absolutely, man. And you know, that's the reason why my wife and I settled down here in Lafayette. You know, we're we're from two hours down the road in New Orleans, but you know, I have family from around here. My dad grew up down down in Generette, Louisiana, on the Bayou Tesh, and and even though I have Cajun blood, uh, until you actually live here for a little while and see what the people have to offer in this community. It's really, it really is unique. Um, and, and Matt, for you being from Texas to come here, I mean, you're pretty much an honorary Cajun for life, man. The second we take you in, the second you eat your first dose of crawfish etouffee, that's it, man. You can't, you can't go anywhere else. A hundred percent. I just had crawfish 20 minutes ago before I came. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. And I'm sure it's just as delicious as the first time you tried it. Man, don't get better than that crawfish time on Vera School Road. There you go. Cool. Oh man, that's good times. I love crawfish time on Vera. Amazing good stuff, man. All right, Matt, we appreciate you joining us, and like we said earlier, we'll uh, we'll talk soon. All right, man. All right, man. Thank y'all guys so much. Y'all take care.